We are in a series called My Life Changed When, and it's a series that our other campuses did leading up to Easter, and uh, you know, we weren't able to do that because we weren't officially a campus yet. We were just getting ready to launch at Easter, and so uh, we had been part of the planning process for this series, and we get the chance to do it after Easter, so we're kind of in the middle of it right now, and we started off a couple weeks ago, and just like all of our campuses, we started off watching part of a sermon by our senior pastor at Grace Church named Jeff Bogue, and he talked about our stories and the power of our stories and how each of us has a story, right? Like each of us has a story to tell, and our stories, like people can relate to our stories, It's amazing how uh, people we would never imagine can relate to various parts of our stories. But your story is not just your story. Your story is also God's story because it's God who's working in you, right? And so we've said that we got to share our stories. God doesn't take us through things and God doesn't give us stories just for ourselves. But God gives us these stories and walks with with us through these things so that we can use those in other people's lives, so that he can use those in other people's lives as, as he's reaching them and as he's changing them and grabbing a hold of them. And so the first week we started off and we said, man, we should capture as many of your stories, our stories, as possible. And so he said, would you consider going public with your story? There's something that happens inside of us when we go public with our story, right? When we go public and we say, I am a follower of Jesus. He has done something inside of me. He's rescued me. He's changing me. And so he said, think of a life change moment in your life. And it's a, think of a moment that God is changing your life. And then grab your camera or your, your webcam, your phone, whatever it is, put it in front of you and shoot for 90 seconds or less and record yourself. And don't worry about it being perfect. It doesn't have to be perfect. It just needs to be real. And then once you've taken that, upload it to one of the social media sites, hashtag it, my life changed when, that allows us to kind of capture it. And then we've been adding to this site that Grace Church, this little micro site that Grace Church has put together called mylifechangedwin.org. I would challenge you, I'd really encourage you this week, go to that site if you haven't already and watch some of people's stories. They'll give you an idea of what this looks like for you to do on your own, but watch some people's stories and just see how good God is and how God, through good things, through hard things, through terrible things, God shows up and God changes people's lives. I encourage you to check that out this week. So two weeks ago, we started off talking about our stories. And then last week, we said, uh, my life changes when I choose peace. And we looked at a passage, a little short uh, letter in the New Testament called Philemon. Probably, probably some of us didn't even know that Philemon's in there. It's really easy to overlook. Philemon is a short little letter that Paul wrote to a guy named Philemon uh, who had a, a slave that ran away. He did some rotten things to him and ran away, named Onesimus. And we looked at this last week and we said, in these three people, Paul, Philemon, and Onesimus, you have three uh, kind of roles or seats in conflict. And so in Philemon, you have the guy who was offended. You have the guy who was hurt, who was betrayed, right? In Onesimus, you have the guy who is the offender. You have the guy who did wrong. And then in Paul, you have the guy on the outside who's the peacemaker, who's saying, you guys got to work this out. He's not saying, eh, They're not together anymore. Let's just not deal with it. There's not immediate conflict. Not deal with it. He's saying, we need to deal with this. We need to make this right. And so we looked at that and we said, we need to be as followers of Jesus. And we looked at each of those different, uh, those roles, offender, offended, and peacemaker. And we said, what does this look like in our life? Like, what does it look like for you and me to be the offended person in a way that honors God? 
What does it look like for you and me after we discover or realize that we have offended somebody to respond in a way that's honoring to God? What does it look like for you and me to be peacemakers in ways that are honoring to God? And we said it's not easy. Conflict's not easy, right? Dealing with it is not easy, but it's essential. And we looked at a passage that said, as far as it is up to us, as far as we're able, we as followers of Jesus need to be people of peace. You know why? Because God is a God of peace. God, the one that we're following, loved us so much that instead of wiping us out when we were pretty evil, he sent his son to die for us. He knows every little bit about us. He sent his son to die for us as the ultimate peacemaker. And so he said, man, if we are followers of this God, of the ultimate peacemaker God, then we need to be people of peace. We need to, do, we need to be people who do the hard thing and seek peace in our relationships And again, it's not always easy, but when we do it, man, there's so much peace. There's forgiveness. There's relief in our hearts. You know, unforgiveness is like a poison that we drink, and it takes our life away, and we think it's doing something to the other person, but it's not. It's hurting us. So that's what we delved into last week, and I encourage you, if you weren't here last week and you have some relationships that uh, are not at peace, I would really challenge you to go online and listen to that. And think through that and allow God to work on your heart of what your response should be as a peacemaker. So this week, we're going to talk about um, our secrets, when our secret came out. And I remember when I was in fourth grade, uh, it's funny the things that you remember when you're a kid and the things that you don't remember. My son came home. My son's in seventh grade. I had to prep him for this story because I'm going to make myself look terrible here, okay? So I had to prep my son for this because he's sitting over there. But he came home last week with a uh, book order. So at school, they said, um, if you want to order some books, then you know, fill this form out and bring in money, and we'll order books for you. And Luke came home, and he said, uh, I want this book and this book, and I need $15. And we're like, really? Like, are you even going to read these books? You know, like, is, are they going to sit on the shelf? Are they really worth $15? And as, as you're talking about this, I, start, I, get, I have this flashback of this time in fourth grade for me. I like, start to twitch. It was like a traumatic time for me. In fourth Fourth grade, in fourth grade, I, uh, I had my teacher, Mrs. Lance. Actually, I think it was third grade. It's Mrs. Lance, whatever grade it was, okay? And we had this book order, and it was probably eight weeks earlier. Everything was delayed back then, like eight weeks earlier. They took the, the forms that you filled out and the money that you gave, and then eventually this big box of books come, and the teacher passes them out to everybody. You know what I'm talking about. Pass them out to everybody who ordered them. Well, she gets to the end of the box, and she says, okay, that's it. Does everybody get their books? I raise my hand, and I say, I didn't get the books that I ordered and that I paid for. And she said, oh, well, you know, let me go back and let me check. Let me see what's going on. Maybe they made a mistake. The bad thing is I didn't order books, and I certainly didn't pay for any books. And it was one of those situations where, like, you do something wrong, and as you're doing it, you're like, what am I doing? Why am I doing this? And it snowballs, you know? So like you tell a lie and then you have to tell five more lies in order to not get caught in the first lie. Like that's what it was like. And so, you know, well, what books did you order? Well, I think I ordered this one and this one. And how much did you pay? I think we paid this. And I went home that day. I don't remember if I got caught. I really don't remember all the specifics. What I remember is going home and feeling so guilty. Like, 
so guilty, this burden inside of me. I don't know how many lies I had to tell to not get caught with this, but I walked home, went home feeling like such a heavy burden inside of me because I had this secret, rotten thing that I had done, and I had to cover up, I had to manage it, and I knew that when I got caught, and it was a matter of time, when I got caught, I was going to get in big, big trouble. Why do I tell you that? Why do I tell you that? Because secrets are a huge burden. Secrets that we keep are a huge burden that we carry. And my guess is that some of you, some of us, walked in here tonight with some secrets that we're carrying, that we're holding on to, that that are painful for us. And we're keeping away from people that we really love. And we're doing things that would hurt them. And we're trying to manage the secret. We're trying to not get caught with the secret. And it's getting harder and it's getting harder. And every day, that secret is destroying our relationship with God a little bit more and a little bit more. And every day, it's destroying our relationship with our families a little bit more and a little bit more. And it's keeping us locked up in this prison, right? This prison of fear and shame and worry. What's going to happen when one day my secret comes out and I get caught? And for some of you the web of lies might be so big and so vast and so complicated and so tangled that where you sit right now, you're not even sure like what's true and what's not true. For others of you, you feel so deeply ashamed, like so deeply ashamed for what you've done and what you're doing. And you think, man, if my spouse just found out or if my kids found out or if my coworkers found out, or my friends found out, or my neighbors found out what was on my computer, the person that I'm talking to, what I do for fun, what I'm addicted to, if they found out, they would be horrified, absolutely horrified. And I am terrified to think of what they would do to me. Others of you don't feel any of that yet. You're doing okay with your secret. You're kind of you're managing your secret. And you're not really hurting anyone. I mean, you're hurting yourself just a little bit, but no one else. You're managing it pretty well, and you've numbed your feelings to some of the pain. And you've put your secret in its nice little compartment in your life. And when you want to delve into your secret, when you want to indulge in your secret, you pull it out, and you indulge in it, and then you put it back in its nice little place. And you think, I'm not really hurting anybody. But slowly and surely, your secret is moving you further and further away from God as your secret begins to take his place in your life. Today might be another painful one for us. Last week was hard for some of you. Tonight might be another painful one for us. Because just like choosing peace is hard, it's really hard when our secret comes out. It's really hard when we have this thing in our life that we're doing that we know we shouldn't be doing, and it finally becomes public. But here's the thing, and I want you to think about that. I want you to keep this in the back of your mind as we progress through tonight. What might feel like the absolute worst day of your life if your secret comes out, if you get exposed, what might feel like the absolute worst day of your life may very well turn into absolutely the best day in your life. 
because as you let your secret go, as you expose your secret, you also experience freedom, you experience peace, you experience forgiveness, you experience hope, and you experience joy again. Today might be the day that your life changes. If you let it, I don't know what's going on inside any of you. You know. But if you let it, today might be the day that God changes your life as you let your secret out. There's a story in the Bible that we're going to look at that I'm really excited for us to look at. And it's about a woman who's had her secret exposed. And her secret's exposed in an incredibly public way, in an incredibly humiliating way, and even in a life-changing way. And some of you will actually be able to relate to her secret. Some of us won't. But all of us will be able to relate. And this is what I'm most excited about. We'll all be able to relate to how Jesus responds to her secret. How Jesus responds to her secret being exposed. Because it's the same way that he responds to us when our secrets are exposed. And can I just say this? Like when I read this, I obviously had a chance to, to study this a lot more this week and read through it time and time again. When I see how Jesus responds to this woman, I think, man, I love him. I love him so much. And I think I want to respond that same way. Like we all have secrets in other people that, that are exposed at times, sometimes very publicly in the news, right? Sometimes our friends, people fall there. I think I want to respond when other people are humiliated, when other people's secrets come out, I want to respond the way that Jesus does. And so I'm excited for us to look at this tonight. So if you have your Bibles, flip them open to John chapter 8. John chapter 8. If you don't have a Bible, we've got a table full of them back there. We'd love for you to have one of those. Um, in, the, in the church Bibles, it's page 868. This passage, by the way, as you're flipping there, this is kind of a weird passage in the Bible. This is a passage that scholars are, most scholars are confident is something that happened that Jesus did, but they're not really sure where to put it in the Bible, okay? Some of the earliest manuscripts didn't have this passage in it. It's the beginning of John 8. They didn't have this passage in it, but they're confident that it's part of the historical narrative of Jesus's life. And so what they think is that it was passed down orally at first, kind of the story told. It was uh, in various places in Old Test, or I'm sorry, in, uh, in the first and second century writings, but it didn't come into John chapter eight until a little bit later. And so they're not exactly sure where to put it, but they're very confident that this happened. Okay, so here it is, John chapter eight, a little bit different passage, an incredible passage where you see how Jesus responds to somebody who has their secret exposed. Here we go. John 8, starting in verse 2. At dawn, he, Jesus, appeared again at the temple courts where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach him. So Jesus is having a Bible study, right? So he's sitting down in the temple courts. People gather around him. He sits down, and he has a Bible study with them, okay? Very public place, has a Bible study. All of a sudden, his Bible study is interrupted in a way that Bible studies are hardly ever interrupted. Here we go, verse 3. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery, and they made her stand before the group. So imagine this. The religious leaders, the teachers, they interrupt Jesus' Bible study, and they parade in this woman who is literally, literally drug out of bed with some guy other than her husband. She had a secret. She had a secret, right? Not any longer is it a secret. And it was a big one. So she got busted in probably the most public way that somebody could be busted back then. Pulled out of bed in the act, brought, essentially brought to the church, right, in the most public place, and said, this is what she did. Look at it. 
And, and I, want, actually, I want you to think about, like, th- put yourself in her shoes. Like, just think about how she was feeling in this situation. Like, think about the humiliation. Who knows what she was even wearing at the time, right? Like, think about the humiliation that this woman was feeling. And I'm not saying that, that what she did was okay. Like, she was, she was very likely sleeping with somebody else's husband. But can you imagine how she felt as they drug her there, vulnerable, totally exposed, nowhere to hide, right? And then they say this. So they drag her there, the Pharisees, teachers of the law, and they say to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery, and the law of Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. Now what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. So she's outed, right? Very publicly, she's outed. Adulterer, caught in the very act. Everybody knows it. And if that weren't enough, now they want to kill her. They want to execute her. They want to stone. You know what stoning is? Stoning is, if I were to stand up here and each of you had rocks and you pelted me with them until I died. Can you imagine? Can you imagine the fear that this woman's feeling, right? And in the process of, of wanting to stone her, they want to back Jesus into a corner. And it sounds crazy to us, you know, but in a nation of God's chosen people who are expected to be holy like their God, that was the penalty for adultery. It was death. Leviticus 20.10 says, If a man commits adultery with another man's wife, with the wife of his neighbor, both the adulterer and the adulteress are to be put to death. Interestingly, they weren't worried about the man here, right? It says nothing about the man. They're just worried about this woman. And so they parade this woman in front of Jesus and this crowd of people that Jesus is teaching to see what he would do. What would Jesus do? Is he going to be soft on sin? I know you caught her, but I mean, look at her. You, you want to stone her? Is Jesus just going to let her go? Or is he going to pronounce a death sentence on this woman who is just exposed, who just had her secret exposed? Look at it. Back at verse 6, they're using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down. Here's what he did. Jesus bent down, and he started to write on the ground with his finger. Man, I wish I knew what he was writing. I wish I knew what he was writing. There's all kinds of theories, you know? Like, is he, is he writing the sins that they were accusing her of? Is he, is he writing the Ten Commandments? Is he writing other Old Testament laws? Who knows? But they wouldn't let it go, right? So Jesus doesn't respond at first. He bends over. And he starts to write, and they keep pressing in on him. So then Jesus finally answers. Look at it, verse 7. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up, and he said to them, Let any of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And then he stooped down on the ground, and he began writing again. Like, imagine the scene. Imagine what's going on there. You have this frazzled woman. You have the Pharisees, the teachers, the crowds. Everybody's looking at Jesus. This woman's fate is in Jesus' hands, right? Everybody's looking at Jesus to see what he would do. First, he doesn't say anything. He starts writing. They keep pressing him. He stands up. He looks at the mob with rocks in their hands who wants to execute a severe and swift judgment on this woman, right? He looks at them, and essentially what he says is, go ahead and do it. Go ahead and stone her. That's what the Old Testament law says. Go ahead and stone her. But, but I got one request for you. Let the one who's not broken any other laws, let the one who doesn't sin, who's not sinned, be the first one to throw the stone. 
right? And then Jesus bends back over and he starts writing whatever he was writing before. And then look what happens. Verse 9. At this, those who heard began to go away. I mean, the, the drama, this is an amazing scene. Imagine what this woman is feeling. Those that heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman standing there. This mob who wanted to execute this lady, who wanted to end her with a swift and severe judgment, now slowly, one by one, begins to walk away. One by one, they drop their stones and they begin to walk away from her. And now the only ones who are left are this woman and the only person who actually has the credentials to throw a stone. Look at verse 10. Jesus straightened up and he asked her, he said, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And she says, no one, sir. And he looks at her and he says, well, then neither do I condemn you. Go now and leave your life of sin. Where are your condemners? They all, they all left, Jesus. They left. Now it's, it's just you. Imagine what, what she's feeling inside. What, what are you going to do, Jesus? Like what, what are you going to do to me? Are you, are you going to pick up a stone? What are you going to do? Like he's God. Think about who he is. He's, he's God-made flesh. I like how Pastor Dan at the Norton campus says it. He says, is God with skin on, right? That's what Jesus is. He's God with skin on. He's the one who's holy and righteous. He's without sin. How would he, the only one who has the credentials to throw a stone, how would he respond to the sinful woman? Guys, don't miss this. Please don't miss this. I don't know what your understanding of God was when you walked in here. I don't know how you saw God. I don't know if you saw God as angry as the judge, as the king. I don't know what it looked like for you, but don't miss how Jesus responds, how the Son of God responds to this woman's sin and public shame. The only one in the crowd who had the right to execute judgment, he looked at this woman and he said, neither do I condemn you. Neither do I condemn you. And he says, go now and leave your life of sin. What does he do? He has compassion on her. His, his mercy on her. He forgives her. And then he tells her how to start over. He says, leave the sin behind and start again. Leave it. Don't go back to it. I don't condemn you. Don't go back to the sin, but start over. The moment that, she, that her secret came out and she thought would be the end, the worst day of her life, the end of her life, actually turned into the beginning of her life, a new life. It's incredible, isn't it? Like, it's incredible. And I don't, I don't know how this strikes you. Like when you, when you read this, you see this, you think about this, like maybe you're thinking, maybe something like what this woman has done has happened to you in your life, in your marriage. And I, and I don't know what you're thinking about this. Maybe, maybe you're thinking about the ramifications of what this woman has done to this other person's family, what she and this other man have done to their family. And you think in your mind, you think, how could Jesus be so soft on sin? Like, how, how, how could he do that? How, shouldn't she be punished, you know? Like, shouldn't, shouldn't she at least have to say a few Hail Marys and a few Our Fathers? Like, you're just going to let her go, right? I hear you. I, got, I, I think we all have this need for justice. She did wrong, so she should be punished. Punishment follows wrongdoing. That's what's right, right? Like, that's, what's, that's how people learn. 
But guys, see, here's, here's what I know about God. Here's what I know about God. And I'm so grateful for this. Right here, right now, in my life and in your life, God cares so much more what you're going to do today and what you're going to do tomorrow than what you did, than the mistakes that you made yesterday. I want to say that again. It's so important. It's so important because if you have baggage that you're holding on to, it's going to hold you back, and you are never going to experience the grace of God. Right here, right now, in my life, in your life, God cares so much more what you're going to do today and what you're going to do tomorrow than about the sins and the mistakes that you've made in the past. You know why? Because the punishment for those sins has already been dueled out. It's already been, it's already been taken. It's already been dished out. Jesus came not to throw stones at us for what we did yesterday or the day before or over the last five years. That's not why he came. But instead, he came to die and to give us hope for new life, to give us hope for tomorrow and for the day after that and every other day that he gives us. You know, you know the passage that guys at football games hold up behind the goalposts? I hold up a big sign that says, John 3.16. You know that passage? Probably the most famous passage in the Bible. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. A lot of times people stop right there, and they don't read on. They don't read on to 17. 17 says, For God did not send his, send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Guys, this is, this is the best news that there is. Like, this is the absolute best news. I don't know what secrets you had when you walked in here tonight. I don't know, but I know this. God is not looking to throw stones at you. God is not looking to condemn you. God's looking to offer you forgiveness. He's looking to offer you freedom. He's looking to offer you hope and life and salvation. He's not looking to condemn you and hurl stones at you to, to pay you punishment for the wrong that you've done. He's paid the punishment. Jesus came here to take the punishment that we each deserve. Like, that's why he came. And see, the punishment that we deserve, it's the same no matter whether our secrets and our sins are really big or they're really small. Sin is sin. When you're a lawbreaker, you're a lawbreaker. You break the law. You put a barrier. When we sin, sin, sin is lawlessness. We put a barrier between us and a holy God, a righteous God. But see, here's the thing. You're loved. Like you're loved. He knows all of the rotten stuff that you've done. I'll be honest with you. I've done a lot worse than just lie about a book order, okay? And I'll bet you guys have too, right? Make me feel better, right? He knows all of it. He knows every last bit of it, and he loves you. And his desire is that you and I are forgiven. That's why he came. But here's the thing. Forgiveness doesn't come cheap. It doesn't come cheap. He desires to forgive us. That's why he came. Punishment had to happen for our own sins. It had to happen for our own evil, the wrong things that we've done. We're just not the ones who received it. There's a beautiful passage written about 700 years, about 700 years before Jesus came. And it's a prophecy in Isaiah 53, a prophecy written about Jesus 700 years later, about this Messiah 700 years later. And this is what it says. But he, Jesus, was pierced for our transgressions. He, Jesus, was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, Jesus, 
And by his, Jesus' wounds, we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned, from our, turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him, Jesus, the iniquity of us all. There was punishment, right? Punishment was dished out. We're just not the ones who received it. 2 Corinthians 5, it says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus came here to take the punishment that we deserve. Like That's why he came, not to hurl stones and to condemn us, but to forgive us. And can I say this too? Your secret is not a secret to him. Like You might be doing a really good job of fooling other people. You might be doing a really good job of managing your secret. You may be doing a really good job of telling little lies to cover it up. But it's not a secret to him. He knows it all. And he doesn't just spit you out and reject you. He wants to forgive you. In Hebrews 4.13, it says, Nothing in all creation is hidden from God. This is the New Living Translation. I like this. Everything is naked and exposed before him. And he is the one to whom we're accountable. That is terrifying if we don't know the character of God. That is terrifying if we don't know that God didn't come here to condemn us, to hurl stones, but he came here to save us, right? Luke 12 says, There's nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What you said in the dark will be heard in the daylight. What you've whispered in the ear in the inner rooms will be proclaimed from the roofs. God knows your secret. We might be doing a good job of keeping the secret from everybody else, but God knows your secret. You're not keeping it from him. He knows it, and he loves you anyways. He didn't come to hurl stones. He came to forgive and save. So here's my question. Why are you still holding on to your secret? Like, why do we do that? Is it, is it fear? Is it we're scared? Is it, is it that we're scared that we're not going to be able to function if we don't have the secret that we're living out? We don't, we don't know what life will be like if we don't have the secret? See, I know how exhausting it can be to manage a secret in your life. Always being worried about being found out. Being worried about being a disappointment to the people that you love. And, and thinking, man, if I get caught, it is going to be the absolute worst day of my life. When I was 20 years old, I had a secret. And I was living my life uh, not very well. I was on the wrong path. I was headed down the wrong path for sure. And I was doing a lot of partying at the time and doing uh, kind of all the things that go along with partying. And I knew, I knew better, you know? Like, I, I knew I shouldn't be living that way. My parents didn't raise me that way. But it was fun. I remember, I remember you saying that. It was fun. I was worried about having fun. I was worried about myself. And so I was living in a way that wasn't respectful to my parents. It wasn't respectful to the girls that I was talking to. It wasn't respectful to my friends. It wasn't respectful to the church that I was a part of at that time. I went to church every single Sunday. It wasn't respectful to myself, and it wasn't respectful to God. I knew that. Like, I knew that. And it was hard work keeping my secret all the time. Like, it was hard work coming home drunk. It was hard work smelling like all kinds of different smoke. It was hard work going to work the next day hungover. 
I got, those, are, those are hard secrets to keep. And it was exhausting trying to hide that. And I remember one day it all came to a head. And the details are not that important, but I got arrested for underage intoxication. And I remember, like, <laughs> I remember in the jail cell, I spent most of the night in jail. Thankfully, my friends stayed with me so I didn't have to wake my parents up and ask for them to come give me a ride home. But I remember sitting there in jail thinking, like, what am I doing? Like, wh- is this the path that I want to walk down? Like, is this, is this the direction that I want to go? Is this how I want to live my life? I was in the system now, right? I was in the system. Am I, is, is this the road that I can see the conclusion? I can see what lies ahead on this road. Is this where I want to go? And I knew I didn't want to go that way, and it scared me. Like, it terrified me. And so that summer, so cool. It's so cool how God works. That summer, I went to, uh, to uh, well, actually, let me, let me back up a little bit. I came home, and I had, to, I had to be honest. Like, I had to let people in on my secret. And I remember how humiliating that was. Like, I remember how hard that was, telling my parents what I was doing, telling my parents why I got arrested, telling my parents a little bit about the lifestyle that I was living. But it was also freeing to me. Like, it was freeing to not have that secret that I was holding anymore. And I, and I started searching. Like, I knew the road that I was on, and I didn't want to be on that road. And so I started searching for God. And I remember my dad took me to uh, a men's conference, a Christian men's conference after that. And it was that weekend, through all of that stuff in my life, like, what, t- what started off being the hardest time in my life turned into the weekend that I met Jesus. And it was like I was on this road. I was on this path. I could see what, lo- what lied ahead, right? And it was like God lifted me up, and he put me on a different path, and he changed everything for me. Guys, listen, I don't know, I don't know what it sounds like to you when you think about your secret being exposed right now. Like, I, I don't know what, what you're thinking in your head, but man, there is such freedom. There is such freedom when you choose to be outed. There's such freedom when you choose to let people into your secret. And I'm not saying it's easy. And I'm not saying that there's not consequences to that. Many times there are consequences and there are hard consequences. But with those consequences come freedom and healing and hope and help. And can I I say this too? That there is a big difference between choosing to confess my secret and getting caught. It's a big difference there, right? Getting caught says, I have no choice but to tell you what's going on in my life. Being caught's no fun. Choosing to, to tell my secret says to people, I got a problem, and I've been hiding it from you, and I need help right now. Tell me, tell me what you wouldn't rather, tell me like who you wouldn't be quicker to forgive and, and even, tr- even trust again. Somebody who comes to you and says, I got a problem, I've been hiding it from you, and I need help, this person or the person who gets caught in the middle of their secret, and you always deny it at first, right? This is human nature. You go, I don't got a problem. No, nah, I didn't do it. I saw you. Didn't. No, I don't. my kids do this all the time. But you just hit your sister. No, I didn't. What? I just saw you hit your sister. Right? You deny it at first until eventually you go, okay, you got me. I did it. What's easier to forgive? the one who chose to come out to tell the secret or the one who waits until they're busted, until they're caught. People are so much ready, so much uh, more quickly ready to forgive when we bring it out ourselves. 
And can I say to you that, um, that throwing stones at other people is actually a really good way to distract from your secret, but all it does is delay the inevitable, and all it does is bring more hurt and pain. Like when somebody else has their secret exposed, it's easy for me to take the stones that I got in my hand and go, man, look at what a jerk Pat is. Bam, and I hit him with it. Look at what Mike did. Bam, I hit her with it. Christy's terrible. Bam, I hit her with it. And I take the distraction, I take the the focus off of me, and I put it on somebody else. It actually works for a time, but all it does is delay the inevitable. And all it does is cause hurt to Pat and Mike and Christy. I challenge you guys. This thing happens all the time. Like it 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 was not that long ago that a very well-known pastor of a big church and leader of a big Christian organization who spoke, was very outspoken about the evil and sinfulness of homosexuality. It wasn't that long ago that he got caught living a double life with another guy. Hurling stones. It's evil. It's terrible. And then he gets caught in the middle of it with a wife and five kids. This kind of stuff happens all the time, and it works for a short time, but the pain that it causes is tremendous, and it's lasting. And before we get too disgusted at guys like him, just know that you and I can very quickly, easily, very quickly and easily fall into that same sort of temptation, too, of hurling stones at people when their secrets are exposed if we're not depending on Jesus. See, guys, the key is Jesus. Like it's, it's so simple, but it's true. The key is Jesus. If you have a secret that you're living, the key is Jesus. If you and I trust what Jesus did for us at the cross, then we have hope. And if we follow him in this life, then we have freedom. And you know what else we have? No condemnation. None. Paul writes this at the beginning of Romans chapter 8. He says, So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you. You're free from the power of sin that leads to death. In Christ, we have no condemnation, but we have freedom. And at the end, Jesus tells this woman, back in John 8, Jesus tells this woman, he says, we didn't condemn. He tells her, he says, now go and sin no more. And guys, that's key for us. That's key for us. And part of that is our own choice. Part of that is my choice to go and not sin anymore. Part of that is God working inside of us. This is what it said in, in, in that passage I just read in Romans 8. We have the life-giving spirit freeing us from the power of sin. He works in us to change us, to make us more like him. As we make choices to go and sin no more, he gives us the strength. He gives us the fortitude to do that. Listen, if you've got a secret tonight, I really challenge you. Like, don't miss what God has for you. Don't, don't walk out of here tonight holding on to your secret, thinking, man, Jeff is crazy. If people know about this, it'll be the end of my life. I might lose my job. I might lose my family. Listen, guys, God has plans for us. God has plans in your life. He's gifted you specific ways. When we have secret sins that we're holding on to, it keeps us from doing what he desires us to do. It doesn't lead to life. It doesn't lead to to fullness of life. It leads to a stale relationship with him. 
It leads to meaninglessness, and we lose hope. And we spend our time trying to manage the secret instead of confessing it to the one who's not going to condemn us, but he's going to forgive us. So I want to challenge you tonight. I don't know where you're at. We all have secrets at some level. Like don't, don't, don't sit and think, man, this is a good sermon for my friend Bob. Who's not, I'm going to make sure that Bob listens to this online. Don't, don't say that. Like we all have secrets at times in our life, right? Some of them are bigger. Some of them are smaller. Don't walk out of here tonight holding on to your secret. Experience the freedom that comes from confession. Experience the hope that comes from choosing to let others in on your, on your secret. Start with God. He knows it already, right? Just agree with what he already knows and allow him to give you the courage and the strength to confess it to whoever else you need to. We've got so much work to do. God's got such plans for us. And when we hold on to this stuff, it keeps us from it. Experience forgiveness tonight. Experience freedom tonight. And we got a, a family to do it together with, right? Like, we're a young family, but we're a family. And you got people that care about you, and you got people that will support you. That's what we're here for. You're not alone. You're not alone. You have people that will not throw stones at you here, but will stand next to you if you get thrown, stones thrown at you. That's what we do for each other.